Hi everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for another Courageous Conversation and we are lucky enough to have Natalie Fitzgerald with us today. She is the GM of Concierge at Home Strata Management. Hi Natalie, welcome. Hi Leanne, thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Do you want to just give us all a little bit of an overview of how you got into the Strata business and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I think like many strata managers from 20 years ago, which is when I started, it was accidental. I applied for a job to fill in time while I was waiting to go back to university. And that was at Brighton Duggan Strata Management. And seven years later, I was still there and left to go on maternity leave. And things have just continued to grow from there. Fantastic. Now, you and I first met at an event that you were hosting for women in strata. So a lot of people that are listening to the podcast know that I've got a a women in real estate, the Real Women in Real Estate Network. Um, So you've got a very similar group, but specifically for strata. Tell me um, why that started, how you started that group. Yeah, sure. Women in Strata is a a passion project, so it's one I struggle to not talk about. Amanda Farmer started Women in Strata after having a really broad conversation with lots of people of, is this something that we need? It's really clear in Strata, as it is in most every industry, that while women make up the vast majority of Strata managers and the workforce, where we don't see them is in those senior management roles. So there was an opportunity to really start to unravel why that was happening and what we could do to look to make substantial changes with a view of one day achieving some parity there. And so tell me, how's it gone? Certainly the event that I spoke at, there were, um, it was a great turnout, really, really cool women. I really enjoyed being part of it. Yeah, it's been fantastic. We've gone from, you know, events where we were hitting maybe 30 or 40 people attending to selling out at 120. And we're just going to grow that bigger and better in the next 12 months. There's some really important conversations, more importantly, happening. And in particular at that event, Leanne, you may recall that we actually had one of the gentlemen who was there stand up and say, I had no idea how bad this was or how much I was contributing without realising it negatively to the outcomes. What do I need to do differently now? And those are the really important conversations. We as women know what we're dealing with. But to get yeah, it's re- it is a, it's a really interesting conversation because I'm working on a, um, a male Champions for Change program right now, as I think you know, mm. and... I'm fascinated to see some some men that have got really successful businesses um, that are quite focused on giving women, you know, flexibility and leadership opportunities, but they're sort of looking at some of the things we're talking about going, you know what, I've actually still got a lot of work to do in my business and I didn't realise. I thought I was doing well. Yeah, that's it. There's almost a sense of being oblivious to some of the activities they were doing that are impacting negatively without realizing it and it's the small things it's the the drinks at the pub after work and suddenly you're talking about promotional opportunities but your female staff have gone home because they want to get home to their kids or they'd rather go and drink cocktails at a wine bar than drink beers at a pub so it's getting able to realize those little things that seem like not a big deal can actually cause some exclusion so thinking bigger picture and where it is and isn't appropriate to be having those conversations and if you are going to have a golf day in inverted commas make sure it's an activity that everyone wants to be part of yeah that's so true golf is the um my my husband says golf stands for um gentlemen only ladies forbidden and of course it does get a slap for that but um it's still the case right there's a not a lot of women who really get into the golf 
And it's it's still a place where men are undertaking business. We joke yep. about it, but the reality is it's still happening and it's happening to, to the extent that women are being excluded from those higher-end business conversations despite absolutely having the capability to be involved. And so you do you did have a lot of um, or quite a few men at that event that we um, that I was part of. But tell me, the broader Strata community, how's the feedback on the Women in Strata group? Yeah, it's certainly been it's, – it's got better with time. I think there was a misunderstanding maybe on purpose by some people, but there's certainly been quite a big bit of pushback. I've mentioned to you one of the comments that I got publicly, it was on LinkedIn, was you're bringing Strata into disrepute by talking about these issues. We don't have yeah. these issues in Strata. Oh, we don't have these issues in Strata? Yes, there seems to be this belief in Strata management that Strata exists in a special bubble that works outside of the economy and other social influences. And, of course, it doesn't. It's a business just like any other. And if any business is going to be influenced by what's happening in a social world, it's one where your job is to build community. So, obviously, Strata is no different. And once we started pulling those numbers, which, again, is difficult to do because there is no um, proper research on what's happening. So this is us looking through websites and analysing people's businesses. But once we showed the numbers that we're looking at 18% of women in senior management and yet representative of 60% of the strata managers are women, they can't deny the need is there. Yeah, those are really interesting numbers, aren't they? And and just the, the fact that you get so many people um, coming to the events and engaging with the group tells you that there is a need to have the conversation. Absolutely. And once we got the message across that, of course, we're not standing there men-hating. Nobody is doing that. Nobody wants to do that. And getting men to understand, frankly, it's not about them. It's a space to empower <laughs> women. And so once they realise that we're not standing around talking about how terrible they are, we're standing around because women do better, I think really slowly starting to change the perception that it's a positive place for improvement and certainly not a bitch fest. No, exactly. I got a bit of, um, actually, when I started the Real Women in Real Estate group, I didn't actually understand what the need why, why I had to do it anyway. I had a lot of people saying to me that I should do it because I had a lot of contacts and connections. And I was really confused about what, what the point was, what we would do there, why we needed it. But the first event we held, we had 65 women turn up after, like I emailed a dozen women that I knew and, um, and within two weeks, 65 women turned up to this event. And I remember standing there thinking, okay, I might still not be very clear on why this is required but all of these women think that there's a reason for being here and it's really just being able to hear stories that we can relate to instead of just hearing the bloke's stories and women tend to communicate and connect differently when men aren't in the room. That's so true it's creating that safe space where women don't feel like they have to put on a facade of I'm I'm tough I'm a man they can be tough in their own way without feeling they need to replicate what they see men doing in a business. And hopefully in these environments um, they're not being judged and don't get me wrong I know women judge women you know 
probably even more harshly than men do, but certainly with with the group of women that um, are in my group, they're so supportive of each other and I'm sure your group is exactly the same. Oh, look, I've seen so many conversations of women who've only met each other, you know, maybe two hours prior and they're, they're holding each other and they're crying and they're talking about these difficult work situations and they're really they're supporting each other and that's the whole point, to, to create a, a circle of trust or a place of trust where women can go and say, this is happening to me. Has it happened to you? Can you help me through this? Which is the main reason and certainly my motivation for staying involved. Yeah, that's fantastic. So what do you think needs to happen to get more women involved in um, in leadership in Strata? Because I, you know, I hear people talk about the fact that, okay, the opportunities are there, but women have got to back themselves or they've got to put their hands up for the promotion. What do you see as the issue? Yeah, look, I think that's that's definitely one of the issues is that we know that women, um, are, someone from Seek was telling me um, that if men are reading a job description and they fit 50% of the criteria, they'll put their hands up and put the job application in. A woman will assess the same application and unless she's got at least 90% of what it says, she's not going to. So we know there's definitely a confidence issue and a an issue of, of backing yourself. We are hoping to do better with that through our mentoring program, which is focused on those those confidence conversations and also on, on goal setting and obviously following through with that. But the other thing is to really educate men to look past their immediate circles and think about the women more that they know and how capable they are. So it's a two-way street. It's giving the women the confidence that they want while also drawing the men into the conversation and say, hey, look past your golfing buddies. There's a whole plethora of capability here that you're just not tapping into. And how many um, how many people have you got involved in your mentoring program? Yeah, this um, in 2019 we hit 18 pairs, which was double what we did the year before when we launched the program, which was really exciting. One of the things we did differently in 2019 was to make the program more supported, so that there were um, materials and resources coming out regularly through to the mentor to the pairs, so that they can keep their conversations going in a structured way, and it gave the people doing the mentoring the confidence that they knew they could do what they needed as well. How the hell do do you get the time to do that as well as your real job? (laughs) Um, I don't sleep. I joke that I'm an insomniac. I think because it's such a passion project for me and it's so important, I I find the time it's something that I prioritise in my day. It's something that's going to improve the sector. I feel a bit like you when I heard this, it's confidence that is stopping women from achieving. I kind of went, huh? Because it's, you know, not something that's been an issue for me, but I realised that if if we can make a difference and empower these women and at the same time kind of educate men, we're going to make a huge difference to not just strata. It's something that can be replicated wherever it's needed. Absolutely. And, you know, just gaining in confidence and achieving at work, it makes everybody feel good, right? That's right. Women are just as entitled to have satisfying careers as they are to home life. I get really sad when I hear, oh, but, you know, at least you've got the kids. Sure, parenthood's yeah. great and all, but there's there's so much more to work, to, to life. And work is a big part of that. It shouldn't be something you have to do. It should be something that you get accomplishment from. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously you can he- you can hear your passion coming through in our conversation so that's um it's awesome having passionate people really prepared to make a difference for others it's not you doing it to better yourself it is to help other people achieve their 
goals that they maybe didn't even have the courage to set until they started having these conversations? That's it. And often it's maybe not even understanding that it's a conversation you need to have, which is always an interesting place to be as well when you are chatting to the women who go, well, I hadn't even realised that I had the right to to ask for that promotional as well or that I can certainly ask to be paid the same. So it's it's interesting getting them to realise that they're entitled to those things. Having increased confidence um, doesn't just help women at work, but it helps everybody, right? If you're achieving things at work, um, it gives you more confidence. It makes you feel better about everything. Absolutely. And confident women are they going are then going to empower and teach men as well. So it's all about creating circles of humanity that don't see gender. And one of the yes. biggest ways we're going to do that is to to equip to achieve equality by giving women the confidence to say, I deserve this. Yeah. I love that saying what that um I can't wait for a time when gender is not on the agenda. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. I would love to not need women in strata because we've reached parity and everyone's being treated the same. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's hope that we get there. Um, So congratulations on all the work that you're doing in that space. That's awesome. Thank you. So let's go to a more traditional strata conversation now. I know you're passionate about the way that the strata community engages with property developers. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's, um, that's such a thing for you? Yeah, absolutely. Traditionally, strata managers have engaged with property developers as a way of having a pipeline of work. Now, that makes sense in any business. It's good to know that you're going to have work and often you know that work is coming for sometimes up to two years in advance. But my issue with that is it is impossible and I know I'm going to cop lots of flack about this and there are many managers who disagree with me. You cannot be impartial when you're managing defects on behalf of an owner's corporation when you've been appointed by that building developer, especially when you've probably done work for that building developer for nothing for up to two years pending that appointment. So, Okay, so for those of us not in the strata um, or development industry let's just talk through how so how does that engagement happen in the very first place yeah so normally it will be this in in the perfect scenario for a strata manager the developer gets in touch with you when there's a hole in the ground and they're looking for advice in how to set up a strata plan whether you should have one strata plan multiple strata plans do you need a bmc those type of questions they might even be practical questions like where should the garbage room go And that will continue through to creating bylaws, through to marketing budgets, um, right through into until the settlements are happening. And that's work that generally strata managers are doing at no cost on the proviso that they get appointed at the first AGM. That makes perfect sense. And so your issue is that when they get appointed at the first AGM, then then where do the where do the issues start to happen? The issues then start when you find defects. And I don't say that in a scary way. We all know defects have been in the media quite a lot lately. Sure. Defects happen in every building. That's a reality of what they are. And some developers are fantastic. They accept them, they deal with them, they fix them, and everybody's happy. But many don't. They don't want to. They want to finish their sales and move on. And it is the strata manager's job to act for the owner's corporation at this point, for the owners, to get on the developer, to get those defects fixed, to sue them if required. I mean, ideally, 
obviously nobody wants to be in court, but at the end of the day, it's your job to get the developer to do something. Now, if you're hoping they're going to give you the next project, it stands to reason that you're probably not going to be pushing that agenda as hard as you should on behalf of your owner's corporation when you want to keep that developer happy. Mm, That makes perfect sense. So for me personally, I have a real ethical dilemma in in being in that situation. And certainly in every job I've worked in, it happens. It's something that almost everybody is doing. But it's something I personally have really taken a value stance on and said in my new business, we are absolutely not going to be working with developers. We want to make our role and our position really clear. And that's that we work for the owner's corporation and for the owner's corporation only. And so it's much easier to get business from the developers than it is from the owners corporation, right? Because we all know, well, a lot of us know who the developers are and we can Mm. get to them early in the piece. Yeah, look, absolutely. In terms of growing a business, we've not made it easy on ourselves. No. It's it's definitely easier to, to drive around Sydney and see the signs on the workshop, on the uh, on the signs out the front of the building sites and start cold calling that way. Um, so we're going to be really relying on, on marketing and uh, getting getting the brand out there and people knowing what we're doing. But at the end of the day, it had to be a value decision. It had to be one about having satisfaction from what we're doing and walking away knowing that we've done the right thing. And so collectively, that's a decision we've made that we really want to make sure that there is never a question of what we're doing. If you're not relying on developers for your work, how are you going to go about actually getting the work from the owners corporation? How do you identify those people? Yeah, look, that's a really difficult question or a challenge, not a difficult question, a, a difficult thing for us to do. And that's because there is no database of who's where, uh, which makes sense in terms of privacy laws. So a few things we're doing is we're going to run events. We're having an Ask Me Anything Strata event uh, later in February, which is going to be kind of based in Neutral Bay, which is where our office is. And we're literally, yeah, great idea. Yeah, so we're literally saying to people, come to the Oaks We've booked a room at the the local pub. We'll have some beers and ask us anything you can think of, Strata. So we're hoping that we'll we'll get some brand awareness by letting people know who we are. We'll run events based on defects and cladding and the kind of scary things that other people are a little bit hesitant to speak about, but also relying, frankly, quite quite a bit on reputation and hoping that people hear me on podcast or or see me at a Strata 101 event or or wherever else I might be floating around and, and like what they hear and follow us from there as well. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So let's um, let's talk about cladding for a, for a minute. I know um, when the the Grenfell Tower issue first happened, um, fair trading in um, in New South Wales at least put on their website. If you're not sure about whether your building has got combustible cladding or not, ask your real estate agent. Yeah. Now I can tell you, real estate agents wouldn't have a bloody clue. Yeah. Um, and nor should they be expected to. Um, how's the issue been for for you in Strata World? Yeah, look, it's definitely a big one. And the thing is, none of us had a clue because why would we? It wasn't something that anyone anticipated being an issue. And even when you, you think you have a clue, possibly you don't. So finding the right people to get out and do the testing, even knowing what type of testing needs doing, we're getting different answers from different people. Fair trading is saying one thing, the insurance companies want something else. So in terms of misinformation, that's the biggest challenge for us, both in terms of information we're able to get and the information that consumers are being left without more than with. 
And so I've got a girlfriend who actually has, um, she is the chair of her starter starter committee and it's quite a big one um, in Sydney and um, they're actually having to fund the replacement of the cladding themselves. They're not sure, um, like insurance haven't covered it and they don't know what's going to happen with any government funding. How are you finding that remediation work and paying for it? Yeah, look, at this point in time, certainly the New South Wales government hasn't suggested any type of assistance for the owners in funding that. The only thing they did do was call cladding a major defect. So if the building was built in the last six years with its cladding, you can claim it back as a defect. Of course, the problem with that is the only way to claim a defect back if the developer doesn't want to do that nicely is to then sue them. So then you've got a a cost outcome conversation to be having. The biggest issue is the removal of the cladding, particularly particularly in high-rise buildings. It's not like you can just, uh, you know, go for a walk up the stairs and unhook the stuff. It's a complicated process in that regard, and that's one of the most expensive issues. And then there's the design questions of what do you replace it with, and everyone's a bit hesitant to replace it um, in fear of, well, what if that product becomes something that's not acceptable five years from now? Well, that, that's the frustrating part because the builders and developers were using a, using products that were um, okayed for that purpose, right? Exactly. They were approved. Yeah, that's right. Um, they were so, approved by the government who's now yeah. approved them. So, look, while I, I may sound anti-developer, I certainly am logical and I don't think they should be held accountable for products no. that wasn't you know, that was approved at the time it went up. But by the same token, these poor owners are being stuck with huge bills for, again, something that is not their fault at all. I really think the government has um, a case to answer because they approved it. And so, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where this lands down the track. I couldn't agree more, especially when we're in a situation at the moment where we may have apartment homeowners in negative negative equity to what's happened to the market. It's not a matter of just raising a special levy and telling the owners to go and borrow against their homes. That may not be an option for a large number of owners. So no. We're not going to go and bankrupt everybody, or maybe that's the government hasn't thought through the process that that's where we're going to end up if we don't come up with a better offer um, option. Yeah, totally. And of course, we had that major issue um, a Christmas. I guess it was Christmas a year ago with Opal Tower. It was very um, much Christmas a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> I was yes. working at the Strata at the time, and, and we had the um, the challenge of managing that. So, yeah, that would have been a, a pretty scary process, I'm sure. Yeah, look, absolutely it was in that it was so unprecedented. We, I've, I've been doing this job for 20 years and would have thought that I was pretty across most of these things, but it was just something that none of us expected. The biggest thing for Opal Tower is those owners had builders and developers who were still there. They were physically on site. They wanted to fix the building. So while it was absolutely a horrifying situation and lots of owners were out of their homes for a very long time, they were getting compensated and there there was a process. The building did get fixed by the developer or the builder, I should say. The builder covered all those costs. So unlike the coroners and mascot towers, we're well out of any defects warranty period. And my understanding is there is a legal case that was ongoing there. Those owners are just out of pocket. And that's a really terrifying situation that strata owners can face and and owners strata owners have faced before opal tower it wasn't in the media but opal tower wasn't the first example of owners needing to move out of their defect ridden apartments it was just the biggest newest one to happen and it happened on new year's eve so we were all talking about it 
Yeah, right. Yeah, um, that doesn't surprise me that it had happened before. But there was conversations around, you know, if you knew that there was an issue with the building, would you want the strata committee um, or the um, the owners' corporation to be talking about it or would you just quietly put your house on the market and get out of there as quickly as you can? As Exactly. And that's why we don't know or people are not talking about the fact that there are many, many other cases. And the other issue is it may not be a whole building. It may be part of a building or a few apartments in there that are evacuated there have been many sydney strata owners who've had to move out or, or not get rent because their apartment particularly are water damage due to water um, defects yeah interesting so the lesson there is make sure you do all of your inspections and check all of the records really carefully before you buy absolutely and do research on the builder and the developer especially at the moment if there's something astray you're more than likely going to find the information you need so if you're i'm not i would never tell people not to buy off the plan i don't think that that's as scary as we think and right now is probably a better time than any because i think people are going to be doing the right thing but you just want to do your research on who your builder is and who your developer is look at other developments they've done that's always a good sign if they're they're in a good nick and the owners are happy then go for it yeah that's really great advice um, now, before we finish up, I know that you are a supporter of Share the Dignity, the charity Share the Dignity. Can you tell me a little bit about what that charity does and why that's your charity of choice? I would love to. That's my other big passion project. Yeah, so um, Share the Dignity is all about getting women, girls and trans men access to period products. And we've recently started also extending that out to incontinency products. So pads, tampons, menstrual cups. Um, One of the reasons that's so important to me is I grew up in an area that was very low socioeconomic and there were girls in Australia not going to school because they got their period. And that is still happening now. And we talk about... That is so hard to believe for us that a normal middle class... Um, people, we just don't even think that that's a problem, right? Absolutely. You don't. And it started based helping women who are getting out of domestic violence situations having access to those products, which spoke to me as well because you lose so much dignity when you're being abused that to have the, the simplicity of being able to manage and handle your period. But when we started really looking into the, the school aspect, we all know you break poverty cycle through education. And if these girls are missing that opportunity because they don't have access to sanitary products, I can't, it's mind-blowing that it's happening here. So one of the big things that we do is put in, I love this, we have vending machines that actually give period packs out for free. So there's a few, few tampons and a few pads in there. They go in lots of different areas. They're not just in schools, they're in um, shelters and, and services and things like that. But the schools that have had these installed are talking huge numbers, a 17% plus improvement in female attendance at school. Wow, that's fantastic. It's, it's, it's just so exciting to think that if we can keep rolling these machines out, we can have a next generation of girls getting the same education that their, their male colleagues are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good on you for um, for being involved. That's a really a really important issue. So congratulations. Thank you. All right. Well, I am going to love you and leave you. I know you're not 100% today, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And I will look forward to catching up with you very, very soon. Oh, no, before we go, three tips yes. for having courageous conversations. How do you go about it? Look, I think the first tip is to always hold strong to your values. So first of all, yeah. know 
know what your values are and know that it is okay for them to be different to other people. And if you lead your life through those values, those conversations become a little bit easier to have. That is such good advice. You're absolutely right. Um, My next tip would be recognise the difference between your opinion and your value and that your opinions don't really matter. And it is Mm. okay if somebody doesn't agree with you because everybody has opinions and they're not that important. So really separating what the value conversation versus what's an opinion conversation. Yeah, and everyone's opinion uh, differs uh, due to their perspective, right? Absolutely. Perception is reality and we... I think we're above that but at the end of the day that's where most of us including me sit so taking yep. the time to be really mindful of hang on am I arguing over something that's a value in which case that's a really important conversation for me to keep having or is this just an opinion of mine in which case it doesn't really matter yeah I really like that and my third tip would be surround yourself with other people who have or share the same values that you do, who are going to back you up when you're having those difficult conversations, when you're being told on LinkedIn that you're bringing strata into disrepute, when you're known as the crazy yeah. feminist. Go and find the other crazy feminists and when you're having a bad day, let them pull you back up. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, that is really, really good advice. And, you know, the, if you think about, all of the times when you are unhappy in the workplace or in a relationship, it is often because you are surrounded by people or or a business that your values don't align. It's so key in any in any working circumstance, whether that that be even in a in a volunteer role and anything you're doing where you're committing time and energy, if the values yep. don't align, you're just going to find yourself miserable. Yep. Yeah, absolutely right. That is great advice. I'm glad I remembered to ask. Um, So thanks again. I really appreciate it and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. No problems. Thanks so much, Leanne. See ya.